There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your main man, Chris Mechanic. Super excited to be speaking with today's guest. He's young, but he's experienced. He's smart. He's in a B2C environment. I know that most of the listeners here are B2B, uh, but B2Cs have something to teach the B2B. So I guarantee you're going to learn something and get some good ideas and some good thoughts for this. He started at WebPT, which is a large uh, online physical therapy platform. Then he was at Gainsight for four years. Now he's head of growth and chief marketing officer at Postscript, which is an SMS based platform. And folks, I am bullish on SMS. I'm super duper bullish. I think there's applications for SMS and B2B. I think that you will see B2B start to adopt SMS on a much broader scale. And the reason for that is simple is because it's a much more intimate touch point in this day and age where emails don't get delivered, people are switching jobs, et cetera, et cetera. There's no more uh, surefire way to get in touch with somebody than, you know, literally the most, the most, uh, intimate device that they have that they carry around in their pocket. So folks, really excited to introduce uh, our guest today, which is Chief Marketing Officer at Postscript, an SMS-based uh, company that caters to e-commerce Shopify merchants. Meet Mike Mannheimer. Welcome to the show, Mike. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, man? Can't complain. You're a B2B SaaS badass, and you did B2B SaaS for days you transitioned to the to the other side to the b2c side you learned about sms and now you are coming back to teach your b2b brethren the way (laughs) even though they're not on shopify and they can't use your particular product there is a place for sms and b2b dude you know it yeah for for sure and like um, and dude sms is so intimate like the open rates are a hundred percent you cannot go wrong with that Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there are totally lessons that are applicable across the board. And, um, yeah. And, and then also like, I'm happy to share about like how, uh, in my career journey going through all these different settings, like for example, you know, selling to, uh, Shopify merchants who make products that I buy as a consumer and I can touch them, feel them. There's, um, there's something really special about that. And like in, in my mind as a, as a, as a B2B marketer, I, there's so much more creative freedom by selling to folks who are selling direct consumer that makes the B2B equation a a lot more interesting, frankly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really satisfying when, you know, you sell a three-year deal to Hewlett Packard enterprise and it's worth $25 million a year and everyone's high-fiving like three years to close it. Like I've done that. That's really fun really gratifying. It's also really gratifying to like sell your software to an entrepreneur whose product is like in my fridge right now because they make like sauce and they're trying to achieve their dream and I'm a customer and like that's really cool too. The connection from the software to to the product is um even more like like this. I'm chatting with little dick's hot sauce. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like let's go. I love little dick's hot sauce. Yeah, it's just cool. It's a cool I met thing. a guy in the airport recently who was like a e-com. He yeah. was like a big badass corporate banker or lawyer or something, but he had this e-com on the side called Bit or no, it was called Little Dick's Hot Sauce. Yeah. It was called it, Little you know, Dick's Hot Sauce. It, 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 B2B folks are also like you know, I learned this one. Join. They're a little uh pretentious too, in some ways. There are plenty of businesses on Shopify that do mid nine figures in revenue every single year, you know? So we're, 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 we're talking about the journey to get to hundred million in annual recurring revenue. Plenty of our customers are doing three, four, five. We have a customer that's going to do $750 million sales this year, yearly on and Shopify. Not, 
Yeah. And it's not recurring. They have to go resell every single thing they get. Yeah. So it's a bottle of hot it, sauce, right? So it, there's a, I think that there's a, you know, a sometimes B2B folks act like, you know, we're, we're like at the ivory tower of, of marketing. And it's like, you know, the, so are you long AF Shopify stock right now? Oh, a hundred percent. I, they've been in the gutter. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're, um, you know, they're in the same spot that everyone else is in. I believe in their, um, in the innovation that they're bringing to the table. I think they are for their size, um, for their size, Shopify is pound for pound more innovative in what the value they're bringing to their customers than any other company that's as large as they are that I've ever seen. They ship a lot of very, very valuable uh, software to folks. It all works together. And um, I think if you want to make a bet on e-com, which is a smart bet, e-com is growing every single year. Sometimes it grows faster than others during COVID, it exploded, but it's still growing. The trend lines up and to the right. If you want to make a bet on who's going to be able to capture a bigger piece of that pie as it continues to grow, Shopify's at the top of the list. And if you don't think that, I don't know what will, who else you're betting on there. So you are actually long Shopify, like you own Shopify stock in your personal account kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, I buy, nice. I, I buy and hold Shopify. The company, well, you know, PostScript just, you know, got a lot of really smart people in it too. If we weren't long Shopify, we would have gotten off their platform. Yeah, you would not be in that business. Yeah, like, yeah, we really, we really believe that um, they're going to make a a run at the, um, at the enterprise that's likely to be successful. And um, you don't want to do business with everyone in in any commerce, but um, I'm a big believer that Shopify is, is going to be the winners when, when the dust settles and, so Mike, I like this vibe. We're just freestyling right now. Let's keep going on this vibe if that's cool. So you're here to teach us. So Mm -hmm. you came from B2B. Yes. In the trenches of B2B, right? Yeah. That's your, that's where you came from. That's your home. You went over here to PostScript, which is exclusively B2C, Shopify only. So that's like the epitome. That's like the melting pot of B2C. What? Teach your B2B brethren, me, teach us, what do we need to know like about SMS? Like, like, and I know, I mean, I know a thing or two about SMS, right? Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. I think, um, the, the first thing that everyone, regardless of what setting you're in, whether it's you're selling to a consumer or you're selling to an enterprise in a B2B environment, is you have to first like figure out how to get over the fear, um, SMS of, is of just it, simply sending an SMS. Yes, it, it's such an intimate, yeah, it's such an intimate channel that people are very fearful of uh, putting their brand in between, like a text from your best friend and your spouse and your grandma. That's where you yes. live as a marketer. There is a and fear. It's like that's too invasive. A hundred percent. Of course, I would never send that on a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If I, if I could muster up the cojones to send an SMS to one of my prospects, it would have to be Monday through Friday during business hours in their time zone or else yes. it's just okay. not happening. Totally. And so I, what I would say is people are, are, are afraid to do it. So they hide behind the idea that like, oh, maybe my customer won't, won't like this. Now, we all know the answer to those types of questions in marketing test it. So you got to get over the fear. You got to structure a test for your brand and figure out how to actually start doing it so you can get some feedback. Yeah. The next, the next thing that I think people, um, really get freaked out about, and this is true, the bar on like what constitutes good marketing on SMS versus email or uh, ad, uh, or it's ad channel or your website or whatever, it's way higher. So you have to be extra thoughtful. You can't just like mail it in. Like with email marketing, you get to hide behind the fact that like a lot of people don't even open your, right. And you know like, that, this right? This is probably so like, not even going to be seen. Yeah. How many people are actually going to like freak out about this, this risk we took on email? It's, it's just way less risky. Whereas, you know, when, when you send someone a text, 
the, the sound's going to go off, the notification's going to come through. They're going to at least look at it. And they're going to have a very visceral reaction to whether this is value added, whether it's good, or whether it's super annoying. We all get annoying unsolicited texts all the time. Yeah. So the bar is really, really high. And you have to really put yourself in your yeah. customer's shoes. And regardless of what the setting is, if you're texting somebody about an order that they made on Shopify, you should start from like, what is the best tech that could possibly receive as a consumer? Like, well, that's and, a transactional, right? right? Sure. So there's a difference between transactional and not transactional, but transactional. Yes. There can be some fear associated. I like this, this like, so say we have like a 30 minute YouTube video, the little yeah. segment of this would be called B2Bs are scared to send texts. Yeah, totally. like they could send them, but they're just scared. And I think that you're right. The fear is in like, well, you don't want to appear, you don't want to appear like you lack etiquette, right? Totally. Like you don't want to send it on a Sunday and interrupt somebody's dinner. And then even that really well-written text and that really relevant text, like gets associated with an interruption at dinner time. Totally. It's poor etiquette in the B2B space, right? Well, if it, 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 it in our space, everything has to be double opt in consent driven, you should bring that to the B2B space too, right? Like uh, if, for people who are listening, who are um, in sales, for example, you know, everyone goes through a sales cycle. They have the, the discovery call where they're learning about the business and you're trying to set an agenda. If these things happen, then you and I, Mr. Prospect will agree to have a follow-up call about XYZ stuff. You can use those sorts of moments in the, in the B2B enterprise customer journey to make a suggestion. Hey, I'm super busy. I'm sure you are too. How is it okay if I communicate with you a little bit via text? I have your number here. Is that your number? They would say, yes. Great. I'm going to shoot you a text that you have mine. And if I can't reach you via email and there's something time sensitive, I might reach out here. Is that okay? If you had a good discovery call, they're going to say yes. And yeah. it'll radically increase the uh, likelihood that when you need to make an ask or communicate with your decision maker, that you're able to reach them where they are. So summarize uh, that, summarize that yeah. for us again. So at the end of a good discovery call, you're basically yep. like, yo, could I send you a text real quick? And then you establish that back and forth text string with the salesperson one-to-one. -one. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. If you are done with the discovery call and you believe it went good, right? You're, if you're a good rep, you would know, was that a good call or bad call? The call went generally good. You're going to have more calls. Just ask the prospect, Hey, I'm, I'm busy. I'm sure you are too. I have your number here. It's this number. Is it okay in time sensitive situation? If I shoot you a text here and there to make sure that we're, uh, working together in a timely way, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, the prospect will say, absolutely. You built some rapport with me. I'm totally fine with you shooting me a text here. And yeah. Or is it cool if I shoot you a text, like once I've sent this thing that you've requested, just so like I can make sure it doesn't get drowned out in your. Yeah. And I think and, people and everybody are, would say yes. Yeah. If it, was, if it was a good disco call. Yes. Everybody would say yes. Especially with people working, you know, from home a lot now, um, we all have to be pretty respectful of people's communication styles. And I actually think if you build enough rapport with someone who you're trying to do business with and you say, look, I prefer to communicate over text. It's the way that you'll get the best communication out of me. Is it okay if I text you here and there yep. to make sure that we're moving things along? People are much more open to that now than they ever have been in, in the past. And yeah, totally. That's a really good formula, Mike. You're smart AF. <laughs> I'm like really tempted to say the actual words that AF stands for, but I don't want to like offend people, but you are smart AF, sir. Cause you're what, well, what you're saying is basically you'll have a better chance of getting a good response from your prospect. If you offer a little bit of information first about yourself and your mm -hmm. communication preferences, and then you ask about theirs, right? Like yeah, if you just totally. say, Hey, could I text you? you're going to get one response. But if you say, Hey, look, I'm busy. I'm drowning in email. I live or die by calendar. I'm a text person. Like, and I don't expect an answer immediately. Is it cool if I just text you? Is that okay? Like you're going well, to get a 90% yes versus like a 50% yes. Good disco call or bad. It could be a bad disco yeah. call framed correctly. And you would get that 
consent to text. Yeah. And there's also times where you need that channel to be open. And if you didn't open it up at the beginning of the cycle, you can't use it. A, a, a great example of this was um, when I worked at uh, Gainsight, um, our head of say our fiscal uh, Q3 ended on Halloween. Yeah. And we were trying to close deals deep into the evening and night. And our chief sales officer had the texting relationship with one of the key prospects we had. And he was literally taking his girls trick-or-treating and on the side, texting his key prospect to try to get this deal done. And we got the deal done. The prospect was also trick-or-treating with his family, but he was able to go pick up the DocuSign real quick. Sorry, my bad. I missed it. I'll sign it right now. If we didn't have the SMS communication channel open with that prospect, we couldn't have leveraged that. We would have been sending to his work email. He never would have seen right. it. Never would have seen it ever. So you, you want to have all of these tools available in your toolkit when you're trying to get, you know, a new deal done or renewal done, whatever it might be. And if you don't have the consent already built, then you should be scared to fire off a random rogue tech to somebody. If you haven't asked them for it, you probably can't do it. So it's yeah. worth asking when you have the opportunity to do so because you had a good interaction where you added value, you, you built some rapport, make the, make the ask. And if you make yeah. the ask, then you'll have SMS in your back pocket when you really, really need it. Yeah. Make the ask. And I think first explain your own communication style. I think that was yeah. like a really like, you know, it might not get a hundred likes on Twitter or whatever that particular tip, but by leading with, Hey, here's my communication style. What I like, is it cool if I do that with you too? Mm -hmm. I think your acceptance rate will be like 10 X higher. hundred percent. You know, I'm very, very excited uh, for the conversation. Our guest today is a real uh, marketing badass. She's been at it for uh, 15 plus years at this point, starting out at Forrester, uh, had a, a stint at Forrester, then went to Rapid7. She's really a, like a global strategy expert. She's got a passion for building high-performing teams. Uh, and she is advisor to many, many companies. She's member at orgs like Pavilion, as well as the Massachusetts Tech Council, currently chief marketing officer at Flywire, which is a really cool company I'm excited to learn uh, more about. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Allison McLeod. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Very excited to be here. It's awesome to have you. I am uh, super duper excited to get all into uh, some deep, deep marketing secrets and also learn more about Flywire and you. So um, let's jump right in. What is, what do you attribute as one of your biggest secrets to marketing success? Um, I would say my biggest secret is that as a CMO, you should act like the CRO. Act like the CRO. Yes. Tell us about that. What do you mean exactly? Um, so most of my career, I have been in B2B companies, but I think regardless of if your lens is B2B or B2C, um, everyone should really be tied to revenue. So while you may have people on your team that are responsible for brand or creative, um, really you want to, as a CMO, be closest to the revenue and understand everything you're doing, that return how that is accelerating sales, upsell, client retention, yeah. uh, truly be in lockstep and sharing goals with the sales organization. Wow. Client retention even. Interesting. Yes. Okay. So um, it's I, I have a phrase when, when we do conversion rate optimization, we like to start close to the money, which mm -hmm. is usually like your web form. And that kind of reminds me of this. So get close to the money, get close to the revenue, even all the way down to retention. Yes. That's retention, that, upsell, cross-sell. How do you make sure that you are supporting um, sales or your relationship manager or account management teams or client success, whatever you may call them in the in the um, companies that you uh, belong to? Yeah. But how do you understand that true engagement? Um, again, providing things from the air cover, the loyalty, the client advocacy, all of those things go um, such a long way. And that's like, so... Most marketers are obsessed with MQLs, SQLs, net new logo. Not yeah. a lot of people really talk about the cross-sell, the upsell, the retention piece. Uh, 
it's obvious. Everybody knows it's like much, much easier to get more revenue from somebody that's already paying you. So it makes a lot of sense to to apply pressure there. What does it look like? Like, how do you do it in a day to day? Like, like what is it? If I were like, let's say you were working in a glass, uh, like you had a glass office, and I was an alien from outer space, and I was observing you. Like, what would I observe that looking like? <laughs> uh, probably chaos and a lot of talking to myself. Uh, I, I do narrate my life out loud as a as an extrovert. Um, so I'd say a, th- a few things. One, I think it it all really depends on the the business model that your company is going for. Of course, first and foremost, just like my team does, like a lot of our focus is on winning net new. Yeah. Um, but there's also um, so much opportunity within your existing client base, particularly if you offer products and services that complement what they have or help them grow. Um, yeah. that you want to make sure that you're staying close to with helping sales or your client management team identify those, uncover those, or there are other people within those accounts that could be an influencer. Perhaps it's something that you may be working with, uh, say it's a security product and you need to influence IT or finance. Yeah. Um, that is a big part of the strategy. So I think, you know, when I think of my day-to-day, a lot of my day-to-day is spent um, one with my team, but also with my um, counterparts across um, the verticals of which we serve. So at Flywire, we're a global payments and software company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focus on not just any payments, but high stakes, high value payments in yeah. industries that notoriously were known to be digitally underserved. So education, healthcare, travel, and B2B. Some yeah. of these most important payments that um, people make in their lifetime. If you think of saving for your college tuition or medical care or that trip of a lifetime you've been, you know, saving up for a long time. So a lot of that is really understanding, you know, go to market motions, go to market strategy. How do we look at things holistically, right? From everything Mm -hmm. that new all the way through to retention and then making sure we're organizing those efforts um, around that. Yeah. So how much of your time uh, would you say you spend on net new versus uh, like retention and upsell? Um, so I will say, you know, that also, that also varies, right. Um, particularly where I am, I, I think, again, it depends on the organization that you're, that mm. you're with. Um, for us at Flywire, we have, um, strong retention with our clients and depending on sort of the offering that we have for each of our verticals, they may be at different stages. Um, mm. so- some of our um, more emerging verticals, like our B2B, um, that is predominantly focused on net new. Um, mm. Education, there are many parts of the world, um, lots of net new. And then there's also where we have great client bases um, and we're focused on that retention and upsell. So it does, it does vary. Um, and I am lucky that I have a pretty amazing global team um, that helps to tackle that every day. Yeah. So what advice would you give uh, marketers listening that want to be more like the CRO or that are, um, you know, trying to get closer to the money in general? Like what's, what are some steps they can take in that direction? So first I think it's making sure that the goals are truly aligned to whether that's the, you know, the ARR or new sign logos, or even if the goal is, you know, upsell retention of like, what are those goals? And then how do you truly understand it? I think there's still so much in every industry. It's sales versus marketing. Um, yeah. It is often like, I guess in a way I laugh, but it also makes me a little bit sad that like I've been in marketing for a long time now and the same problems still exist as they did more than a decade ago. It's still mm-hmm. marketing only cares about top of the funnel and their leads suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> and sales doesn't follow up with our leads. Um, And there's still that huge disconnect. And I still think we're doing it wrong in a lot of places where we're looking at it in silos. We're really looking at it together. Like there is one goal to get to it. And how do you operationalize and optimize that go-to-market to to understand which levers do you pull at which time, right? Like maybe it is you need more marketing spend and and you're you're more effective on digital programs. So that yields a better return that you can get more, hey, we know these are more buyer ready, hand those right off to sales. Or yeah. perhaps it's like, you know, we don't see that demand. We really need more BDRs in this instance to focus on outbounding and prospecting and going after this target list. 
So I think a lot of that is like, how do you work in tandem and have that trust? I still see so many reports out there. Um, I think there's a lot that marketing and the marketing team should know, right? Like, of course, we should know, how do you look at that sort of like end to end or that whole cycle of the customer? So you yeah. should know, like, what does that top of funnel awareness look like? But I often see so much, I'm like, why, why are we showing everyone all of the inner workings? And you end up, it's like data overload. It's like, well, these were unqualified leads. These are leads. These are marketing leads. These are sales leads. And it's like, yeah. but what did that all do? What was the pipeline? Um, yeah. So I look at things like MQLs, that top of the funnel, that is your lever in your gauge, right? That's your lever in your gauge. How do you scale it up, scale it down? How do you get more predictable in what you're bringing in? What converts? How do you build that pipeline? And then yeah. how do you know how to keep building that quarter over quarter, year over year? Um, so I do think, again, focusing on the right stuff, if we bring it back to just basics, it's like, what is what are we all aiming to do? In most cases in B2B, particularly now, it's revenue. It's cost-effective revenue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you make sure that you're aligning all the stuff and deprioritizing the things that may not be uh, driving to that goal um, yeah. uh, in, in alignment with the sales team? And, you know, another uh, interesting thing, I'm pretty sure that you said this on the on the prep call, was that when you... Like imagine that marketing didn't just like do the handoff to sales and said that they were done. Like imagine if they were involved all the way through the onboarding process and like and with the customer success team even. Like you have some marketers sort of intermingling there with the customer success team. They hear all day long what the customers are saying, right? And then that can be translated into amazing marketing oh, yeah. uh, material. Yeah. Agree. I also think, um, you know, for marketers, marketing leaders, like ask to sit in on sales calls, ask to go to sales meetings, ask to speak to clients, like get the real feedback because it's easy. Like it's easy to sit there and listen to the feedback you hear from whether that's your sales team or others or what you read or, you know, what you believe or, Hey, we like this. We think this resonates it's super catchy, but you need to hear it from the client, right? Because, you need to understand if, you know, you're spending your time creating pitch decks for materials or um, the one pager that everyone asked for. I still don't know why one pagers. <laughs> I need to have like a little sticker chart for every time I hear the word one pager. Uh, <laughs> being an effective tool. Um, but, um, you know, really understanding like from the client themselves, what's the pain? Because your, your go-to-market and your marketing and your messaging and your programs are only going to be that more effective if you understand it from the lens of the clients that you're serving. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I love that. Really, really excited to speak with our guest today, who is amazing in many, many ways. She's a data-driven marketer through and through, tons of experience running teams and launching products within high-growth B2B SaaS companies to the tune of Tala, Datto, HubSpot, she's uh, ex-HubSpot, super duper strong resume there, and also just super passionate about uh, understanding customers uh, and and basically how to use marketing to persuade, to delight, to uh, entertain and educate. Uh, currently, she's CMO at Link Squares, Juliet Kopecki. Welcome to the show, Juliet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm super excited to have you. I was having fun in the uh, and during our prep call, and I think that your topic is uh, is just amazing. So you want to jump right in? Yeah, absolutely. Marketing is definitely a topic I love talking about, so I'm excited. I know. I asked you. I was like, "Well, what made you want to do the pod?" And you were basically just like, "I like talking about marketing." <laughs> I mean, I think there's always I love that so answer. Much- to talk about there. And it's a field that's evolving constantly and there's always yeah. new things to learn, new things to do. So um, I think it's amazing. Yeah. And you have, uh, we're all about secrets here, as you know, I'm sure you have many and I'm really excited to be picking your brain. Um, but why don't we start with your one big one? Like, what do you attribute as one of your best kept uh, secrets for marketing success? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's always an interesting it's an interesting question because in some ways, even with like the intro you gave me, it might seem like a really obvious answer here. But I think that 
One of the real like secrets to my success, I mean, I'm the first one to admit that I have a little bit of a non-traditional marketing background. Um, I actually started out my early career uh, working in finance, Um, went back to school. I went to business school at MIT Sloan um, and kind of did a complete like 180 with my career. After that, like I joined HubSpot and actually while I was at HubSpot, I worked in sales I worked on the product team before uh, joining the marketing team and really growing my marketing career from there. And I think that one of my secrets that have made that has made me really successful as a marketer is having that really like varied experience. Like I've worked in finance. I definitely like know how to run a budget. Like I understand, um, you know, how to manage like finances and what like my CFO cares about. I've worked in sales. I know what it's like to be an account exec, to get on the phone and to sell. I've worked on the product side. I know what it takes like to build a product and to work with product management and scope out use cases and understand more about like what a customer needs and how they want to use the product before eventually joining marketing. And I think like a secret to my own success has been like that career trajectory in terms of understanding those other parts of the business. And so when I think about marketing, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that marketing shouldn't and can't exist in a background, uh, in a vacuum. Like it can't just be marketing for the sake of marketing. It has to be marketing to power the business and to drive revenue. And that's why also like partially why I think like your show, I was really drawn to it. Um, One of the things that I always focus on is like, how does marketing impact the bottom line for our business? And I think having that understanding of different areas of like how a business runs, like makes marketing all the more powerful. I totally agree with you. And I think that uh, the best marketers in the world are probably really good business people. They just have very strong business acumen. They may have run businesses before or like you just had like a varied uh, experience. You ask different questions at that level, you know, like there's a lot of marketers even today, which they'll be, you know, buying ads or doing whatever it is that they're doing, generating leads and not even asking like, are these, are these turning into demos? Are these, you know, are these meetings happening? Was anybody buying? Exactly. Um, And I think having that varied experience makes those like obvious questions for you. Yeah. And I think for me then, you know, it's, it's like having that sort of different perspective of marketing. Absolutely. Everything that you said, where it's not just about leads or traffic to our website, but it's, it's that revenue at the end of the day. And how is marketing helping support complement and also drive new business. And, you know, I think one of the really like instrumental parts of even, even my career, I think having had that experience, like in sales, getting on the phone, talking to prospects, like understanding how to pitch and even understanding, you know, what is it like to sit in that seat Um, and thinking about how does marketing, how does, how does what we do in marketing, like make that salesperson's job easier. And I think for me, like having worked on the product side of things, like understanding, you know, why we're building a product or how um, customers and prospects and people in our market, like our target audience are thinking about their job and what they want to do and how much of it informs like messaging and positioning. And I think having sort of like uh, some of that intellectual curiosity um, yeah. is something that has has served me well. And something when I look at um, like bringing marketers onto my team, something that very much so I, I look for, it's not enough just to, let's say like do marketing, but you have to understand those different parts of the business. You have to understand, you know, how the product works, like how different teams within the organization work. And all of those things combined are going to make you a better and stronger marketer at the end of the day is my belief. Yeah. Well, I love that you have a sales background because I think that uh, being in sales helps you to understand the business, you know, because you see the revenue side, you see customer onboarding, you see churn, you know, you see all these things. Um, But one thing you said during pre-call, which I loved when I was like, what's your secret? You were like, get on the phone and sell a deal, sell a deal to a prospect. Like I'm not like, and you, you were saying, I'm not scared to do that. Um, I actually love, I mean, like I, that was such, I think, um, such just almost like an inflection point of my career and such a critical skill. I think that I learned in sales, like one, I mean, uh, don't get like sales is incredibly 
hard. It's probably like one of the hardest jobs that I've ever had. And I have so much respect uh, for salespeople, for our sales team at LinkSquares and what they do day in and day out. Um, And I think for me, it's also having done that job and having that understanding, but also that skill set has certainly like served me well, like in other parts of my career, whether it's negotiating like a job offer, whether it's selling an idea that I have or trying to get people on board and like convince them and some of the persuasion tactics. It's even things like, you know, how do you ask for a deal? I think that sometimes that can be really hard for people to say, like, you might get to the finish line and you're kind of like 95% there and you just, you have to ask for the deal and sell, right. And close it. And, um, I think those are skills that I've taken with me throughout my, my career. And I actually love it. Like now as being like a CMO, I love it when my sales team asks me to help them with a deal, whether it's maybe like a contact or a connection that I have. And I'm like, awesome. Like I want to jump on a demo. Let me help you. What do you need? Like, you know, it's like, not just about like, how can the marketing team support you with whether it's like content or like other things like that, or like resources or collateral. But I'm like, yes, let me join the call. I want to help you sell and I want to help you close the deal. I think there's kind of like nothing more satisfying than that as a marketer to know that you had that direct of an impact. Yeah. Do you have like a a go-to line or a talk track that you you used to use for asking for the deal? (laughs) You know, I... I don't, but what the, like, I, cause I think it's like not a one size fits all, right? Because I think part of it is it can't just be about you selling, right? I think so much about being an effective salesperson is also about listening to really understanding, like, what are the needs of the prospect? Like, what are their challenges? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, And being that good listener. And I think that's incredibly hard sometimes, especially when you have like that natural excitement for like what you do and what you're selling. And you kind of want to just almost like word vomit, like just everything about the product and every single feature and functionality and cool thing that's like happening there. Um, But I think that listening part is really important. And I think if you've listened throughout um, the process and really understand it, part of closing the deal is, is some of that almost like reiteration of like, Hey, I've, I've heard you. I understand your challenges, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're looking for, you know, this product or solution to do. I have, you know, an understanding of like our product and what we have, and there's a fit there, you know, it's like, are are you ready to move forward with that? Do you have more questions? Um, But I think you can't close a deal unless you have that understanding first. Yeah. I just beg. I'm like, please, please. (laughs) (laughs) I need to hit my quota. (laughs) I mean, sometimes like a little of that like can work. Um, I think it probably depends. Some of that depends on how good of a relationship that you've built with that prospect, right? Are they kind of like sympathetic to your begging or not? (laughs) I know, I know. Um, So, but yeah, I, I loved that a thought of hey get on the get on the phone and pitch a deal to a prospect i think that would be amazing an amazing activity for any cmo or any marketer really that has not ever done that um at least to listen to the sales calls at the very least i'm super excited uh for the guest today in the pre-call we were just getting geeky and we even like blocked out a little bit of extra time but this is this is the type of guy who uh, he's a coach. He's a catalyst. He's an innovator. He's a storyteller. Uh, he's been in marketing for over 25 years, most of which was at a little company called IBM, where uh, if you look at his LinkedIn, I mean, he's held pretty much every marketing leadership position, it seems, uh, at IBM across both uh, Europe and the Americas. He's a sought-after speaker. He's really... Um, deep into some of the most cutting edge, like B2B uh, specific uh, techniques, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But he's currently vice president of corporate marketing at Calix, uh, which helps broadband service providers of all sizes to simplify, excite, and grow. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Scott Newman. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I'm really excited to speak with you. It's It's definitely not every guest where I'm like, dude, we got to schedule like 90 minutes for this thing. <laughs> um, so I'm jazz. So without further ado, 
you're clearly a badass. You've got a lot of wins under your belt. What is one of your best kept marketing secrets? Okay. So, you know, it's funny as you think about marketing in general, um, most marketers are thinking about the marketing engine, the, the levers they can pull, the people on their team. Yeah. My secret is as you're being the arbiter and the caretaker of a brand, anyone and everyone can be a brand ambassador. So think way beyond marketing, right? Anyone who works for your company, whether it's someone at the reception desk at, at headquarters or one of your sales leaders or your head of supply chain, they are all an ambassador of your brand. Simply yeah. put, if you find yourself in a meeting, and, and I don't mean necessarily a business meeting, just a social meeting, you know, you're at a cocktail party in town, invariably someone's going to ask you what you do. Yeah. And when you say, I work for X, from that moment on, you are an extension of the brand of X, however you yeah. behave, right? Are you interesting? Are you funny? Are you intelligent? All of that's going to reflect on, oh, I didn't know anybody from that company, but now I'm getting a sense of what they're all about. Yeah. So how do you take advantage in a way and leverage all every single person within your organization and help them become a more effective ambassador of your brand? Oh, by the way, it's free. Yeah. These are resources that already work for you. All yeah. they need are the tools and the guidance. And in our case, you know, we leverage it uh, extensively across a set of social channels. And so it dramatically amplifies our story. And again, it's not paid. This is all earned. And it is, it, I think it's still too much of a best kept secret in most marketing circles. Yeah. And there's uh, the late great Chet Holmes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, yeah. but he's a sales, mostly a sales and uh, business uh, coach kind of author. But he talks about turning every single role in, in the company into a revenue generating position. Right. And, and he provides examples of like, even a receptionist, you know, even the person at the front office, like there, there are things that they can do. So talk to us, how do we enable folks? Um, how do we enable the folks on our team to be better ambassadors? Is that? Yeah. So, so the first is they need to understand your story and, and every brand has a story and, you know, some brands they've got to, they have some work to do to figure out why do we matter? You can go back to it, you know, a Simon Sinek, you know, what's your why? Yeah. Um, in, in our case, the nice thing is we've got a really compelling why. I mean, we wake up every day to basically help our customers bridge the digital divide all mm. over the world. Um, and so one community at a time, we are helping those small towns and main streets and school districts stay connected or get connected for the first time yeah. um, and bring that kind of vitality so those little towns can thrive, right? Yeah. So that's a good reason to get out of bed. Well, it's one thing for the marketing team to get. It's another thing to have your, you know, CEO understand it. But it's another thing entirely to say, you know, your in-house legal department understands the story because they may go, "Why do I need to tell that story? It's not part of my day job." Yeah, actually, it is. So yeah. that's that's one. Be really clear and crisp with what it is, and make sure you're constantly reinforcing why this is important. Mm -hmm. Second. The next step is you're going to find, you know, if I, if, I, if I break up your organization into two buckets, I'm going to oversimplify it a little bit, but there's going to be some that are inherently extroverts and social, and they get excited about it. There are people that get recharged by social engagements. It almost feeds their battery. If you think of like an electric car, there are yeah. others that it actually drains their battery. It's kind of exhausting. So they'll yeah. do it, you know, on, on their own, but they'll be selective. Start with the extroverts. And give them the tools to tell their story and put their own personal spin on it. The last thing you want is to write copy for a social post and 400 people in the company just share it with no comment. Well, yeah. That's boring, right? So what you want to encourage is, no, 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 here's some base, but why is it relevant to you and, and, your, and your social network, right? Mm -hmm. So if you arm them with the tools and you go after the ones that are most likely to be the early adopters, that creates a little bit of a movement. Yeah. And the third piece that we do is every month we have a we have a, an award. We have a couple of different awards um, in terms of encouraging people to get social. We have an internal social award for those that are contributing to the dialogue inside. We are a chatter shop for Salesforce. So yeah. if people are actively engaged and sharing ideas and we spot them because we can see their post, we celebrate them. If yeah. you are someone, whether it's internal or external, so we call that, a, the first one is called the chatter giant. Second one is what we call a culture giant. 
Yeah. Like you're telling stories about what you love about the callous culture internally or externally on your social channels, telling stories about your work-life balance or, you know, some other things that are really exciting or an assignment you're working on at, at Calix that, that gets you really jazzed. Yeah. Share that story. Great. That's, that's our culture giant. And then the last one is this LinkedIn, you know, kind of broader social giant. Are you helping to amplify the Calix story in your own way? And we're seeing some really interesting posts. In the early phase of this stage three, we specifically targeted people that we hadn't necessarily heard from, right? You're going to have the ones that are posting all the time and they're super active and they've created their own podcast series. Great. Encourage it. But if they're getting the award every month, you're not encouraging the ones that are just starting to dip their toes into the water. So yeah. we kind of have to weed through and go, oh, here's someone looks like this might be their first post. Let's celebrate them, right? And yeah. encourage them to keep doing more. So that's, awesome. that, that's the three-step process that we've taken over the last five years at Calix. That's really cool. So you've got the uh, the chatter giant and the culture giant, culture giant and then like and the then LinkedIn the connector. LinkedIn yeah. And, and nice. because we're B2B, that's our biggest channel. Um, yeah. You know, we have Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, but as a true B2B, if we're trying to reach potential customers um, and current customers, LinkedIn is still the platform. So that tends to be our most popular. Totally. So when did you guys start this? Was or was this in place when you got there? Or no, it wasn't. It wasn't. We 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 didn't even have anyone hired to have social strategy as their day job. Um, so it's something we implemented uh, you know, after I got here and started to put, you know, some framing around what we wanted corporate marketing to be and, and the responsibility. And we brought in a former colleague that I knew from my IBM days, and and she leads a strategy that team's now doubled in size too. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> Their day job is every day they're thinking about you know two key things. How do we help amplify and, and create um, simplicity for all Calix employees to share their story? And then we also curate um, the content for them to take advantage of. And you know nine times out of 10, that content is customer success stories. So we're yeah. reaching out to our customers, working with their team to say, hey, we want to celebrate you you know, give us some of the information. If you have some photos that we could put out. So we curate all of that. So it's really easy for our employees to go, oh yes, I, I work with, you know, Allo and, and I know that customer and what a great story. And then they can take it further. Yeah. That's awesome. So what have you seen from it since you started? Like, how are you measuring it? So early on, uh, if I go back two years, LinkedIn had a tool called Elevate that mm -hmm. many B2B players would, would know. And it was a way to track and even do a leaderboard for people in your company of, you know, how are they doing? If you go even further back, there was a, a bit of a fad around, if you remember Clout, K-L-O-U-T, mm -hmm. where you could link your social channels to it and it would give you a score. Yeah, uh, There are even parties I knew of in New York where you couldn't get in the door unless your cloud score was over a certain number. It was like you needed to be social, you know, kind of technorati to be able to even get in the door. Yeah, um, I haven't heard much, you know, from cloud since then, but it was an interesting idea. Um, we track a bunch of metrics from, um, we've now moved over to uh, Hootsuite uh, mm -hmm. and we use their platform Amplify. And the nice okay. thing about Amplify is, um, you can link multiple channels and we give people the option um, where if I use myself as an example, when I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter um, or even YouTube, um, I'm wearing my Calyx hat uh, and I consider myself, all right, anything that I do and say is a reflection directly on the Calyx brand. Yeah. My Facebook profile, I know I sound now like a total boomer now, you know, <laughs> yes, I'm still on Facebook. Um uh, I use Facebook for, for personal. So I, I don't have references to work and I have different conversations completely. And mm -hmm. so if you're a Calix employee, it's, it's up to you. Do you want to plug in one, two, three, you know, into this, this platform? Yeah. Now what it allows you to do is it's very easy when you log in, we've curated and you can filter, well, what are you interested in based on Calix uh, content? Are you yeah. interested in customer stories? Are you interested in some of the more technological announcements and events that we're doing? Are you looking for thought leadership? So you can curate, well, what am I interested in? Then you can put your own spin on it and then you can schedule it. And the neat thing about scheduling is it will assess your network and their time zones. And it knows what's actually the optimal time for this post to actually go up. So you tend to be one of those morning people and you churn out a bunch of posts like four or five in a row, uh, you know, at 7 a.m., 
that's not necessarily the best time for people to actually find it. Right. So leave it up to the tool to let it optimize when you actually can create that influence. Then the data starts to come in on the listening. So Brilliant. what are we seeing in terms of the open and the reach and the amplification? What's the sentiment analysis? The challenge if you're in the B2B space is it's a little less emotional. So, yeah. you know, whenever you have one of those like speedometers, it's like 80% of it's neutral. There's no emotion in the response, but at least you're getting some, but you can get a little bit of positive and negative. Um, you know, when you're dealing in more B2C stuff, you'll get a lot of red, yellow, greens in terms of, you know, positive and negative. But yeah. those are the tools that we're, we're tracking and our goal is we're looking for um, not so much, um, you know, have the Uber users dominate, but we're yeah. looking for breadth. And so yep. we can see that we're just seeing more and more users on Amplify right off the bat. That's a success. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned something uh, quickly, but I think it's, I think it's a powerful strata, like strategic move that you're doing is you're, you're celebrating your customers wins, yeah. right? Like a lot of brands are really me focused, right? You're making the customer, the hero of that story exactly. was one thing that you said that was brilliant. But then the curation, like a simple thing like curating those stories and making them all available and making sure that everybody knows like where to go to find them and how to log in and things. It's a little thing, but it can get overlooked pretty quickly. But like prov providing that fuel and for that fuel to be in the form of like, you know, uh, customer win stories. Right. I think is, is even more powerful because if I'm, say I'm your customer, you know, uh, XYZ broadband service provider right. if i see somebody posting something positively about me guess what i'm gonna comment on it i'm gonna share it i'm gonna you know right. further amplify yeah. that and that's a wrap thanks for joining us here today for show notes and other episodes visit us at revenue driven cmo.com that's revenue driven cmo.com and hey exclusive for listeners of this podcast Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.